All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I am joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good, man. Oh, sorry, I was just stuck because I was thinking of the comparison. But basically, I need to get this Christmas chocolate out of my house because I'm either eating it or, <laughs> or I need to, well, I just threw quite a lot away and then I just received a box of Christmas present I wasn't able to bring home from on my dad's house, which had more chocolate in. So <laughs> I don't know. I was, I suppose I tried to do some sort of clever comparisons. I don't know. Did it like David Karma at Porto <laughs> got to South? You got um yeah you got you got to try and get rid of the dead wood you know it's the January transfer window it's the opportunity to move on some dead wood I yeah, would say might... the obvious solution Barney you, you work at a school surely giving it to to kids at school but I mean maybe they don't want hyperactive kids no I don't give any more e numbers to them a kid's pad lunch over there was free Kinder Bueno's and an orange <laughs> <laughs> the lunch of champions fantastic I'm good man how are you. Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Um, been playing a lot of football, Barney. I scored. I scored three goals on Sunday. Oh, um, nice. Two massive deflections and a tap in. Um, I was trying to think what Portuguese striker scored a scored a hat trick <laughs> like that. Doesn't <laughs> matter Portuguese how they go. <laughs> no, exactly. They all count, don't they? So, um, no, I was very pleased with that. But yeah, other than that, been been very good. Start of a new year. Um, the season continues to 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 march on and, and you know we get some some great games so um yeah it's a really good uh really good time i think and uh this has also been been another good week we're gonna get into all the action shortly as always before we start just a quick reminder to uh check out the link in the description of this podcast um where you can become a patreon subscriber to the long ball football podcast and you get a whole bunch of uh extras including a weekly bonus preview podcast which we put out on the main feed last week so if you if you liked that preview podcast last week um you can get that every single week on our patreon page for just one pound a month not only that you get access to our uh, weekly predictions league which is a lot of fun and monthly um watch alongs which is going to be next monday i believe victoria versus aruka so it's the perfect time to subscribe you get loads of bonus stuff and you get a watch along in january um so definitely check that out if you if you like what we do and as i always say for one pound a month i think it's the best value patreon going uh so definitely have a look at that um but without further ado uh let's get stuck into this weekend's football because uh this week was an interesting week barley we saw a number of of crosstown derbies taking place, multiple uh, local derbies happened in uh, the the league this weekend, and of course, one of the fiercest rivalries in Portugal is the Minho derby between Braga and Vitória, which we were treated to this weekend. I think this is my favourite derby in Portugal, even ahead of the Porto Benfica Clasico, which I think comes with a lot of baggage and, and often isn't quite a spectacle we hope it's going to be. Often this Mino Dave delivers um, and it really did on Saturday night. It was a brilliant game. Braga looked like they were just edging it. They led 1-0 until a 97th minute wonder goal for Vitoria from Joel Mendes who popped up with a 25-yard perfect volley uh, which beat Mateus in the Braga net and made it 1-1. Um, the scenes at the end of this game with uh, Vitoria players embracing, hugging, jumping into each other's arms and, and Braga fan, Braga players on their knees 
with their heads in their hands. It was a draw which, in the context of, of how the game ended, definitely felt like a, a win for Vittoria and, and, and a loss for Braga, really. Yeah, I mean, um, well, no, I think um, I think it was quite an even game overall. I think both teams um, deserve something from this. Um, and as you, as you alluded to, this, this derby does throw up some really good games in Vittoria in particular, we seem to be able to raise their game um, whenever this uh, match comes around, regardless of what form they're in. Um, obviously, uh, at the moment, with Pacheo uh, as manager, they've, they're in a, a better bit of form and looking as a, a stronger team than they have done in previous encounters. Um, but I thought it was, I mean, I mean, the, the equaliser is just absolutely world-class from Jarmens. Um, it's just such a stunning moment. And um, I think, yeah, the reaction from the Braga players is more due to the the the, the, the Alves world, yeah. worldliness of this goal as a way, you know, like it's 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 almost heartbreaking that when something so incredible happens, but sort of so out of the blue at the same time. Um, and and look, Xiaomen's, I mean, this player we've talked about a few times this season as sort of being the surprise package for Victoria, not the player we expected to be, um, or as a player of such importance to this team. I think one thing that's been interesting under Bashir is that he sort of hasn't been as a regular star in this game. It was um, Nuno Santos, mm-hmm. uh, the expert Vic player who got the star ahead of him. And that, oh, that's a player that I did expect to play regularly for Vitor. I, I really liked him when he went on loan to Pasadena Trail before his sort of failed move to America. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, John Lentz is just this... this he's, he's just been... I don't know where it's come from, but it, it, it's it's... It's is it confidence? You know, after after this move, it, he's he's certainly got something in his locker which I just never saw before, and this was just an incredible moments of uh, individual brilliance, and and I absolutely love the fact he took it on, and I think it yeah it did it did result in a, a draw which I think was overall fair in this game. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a really interesting point because you know although Braga were on top, I think Vittoria would have been hard done by not to get anything out of the game. Um, and like you say, it's just you know that's why we we love these these types of games because they throw up these moments and and what a moment it was that that will be one of the goals of the season undoubtedly, um, if not the goal of the season. And if you if for some reason you're you're living under a rock and you haven't seen it, um, there's a video of it on our Twitter page. So just go and check it out there. A wonderful goal. Um, the, the the feeling that I was felt with after this game, Barney, was that. The game was defined defined by moments. One of those moments being um, the goal from Jarmensch. But equally, an important moment happened uh, minutes, five minutes or so before that uh, for Braga, um, which I'll come on to um, concerning Abel Ruiz. And obviously, um, I think this is worth talking about because it was one of the big talking points before the game. The fact that Simon Banzo was not available for this for this game he was heading to African Cup of Nations represent uh Deripatic Republic of Congo um so it was a very big opportunity for Aboriz to lead the line um and I think uh in in, in many ways he did a, a very good job he, he we know he leads the line well we know that he presses any team that he plays well um but unfortunately he he, he had an opportunity in this game 90th minute one-on-one with the keeper fantastic opportunity uh to put Braga Tuna up kill the game and he doesn't take it. And obviously we know what happens after that. He misses the chance and then Vittoria get that worldy goal. And a game that could have ended 2-0 ends up 1-1. Now, Ruiz was said to be sort of devastated in the changing room after the game. Um, 
But I'm sorry to say it, Barney, but I just do feel like this sums up Ruiz's game in many ways. I mean, you said on the preview show last week, um, he scored, what was it, two out of 62 of Braga's goals? Was that this season or this year or something? Um, but either way, it's a, it's a really low return. Um, and I think we've just seen it too many times from Ruiz. He does an awful lot right. And I think he did put in a decent shift in this game, doing all those things that I mentioned, pressing the team, link-up play was fantastic. He was involved in the build-up. But then he's he's presented with a with a big chance to to score and he didn't take it. And I think, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you think this is harsh, but I think we've seen that too many times from him. Yeah, it was interesting because um, I I read as well that he was the almost in tears actually um, after after the end of this game. Um, Arthur George was questioned about him quite a lot in the post match uh, press conference, and I think Arthur George sort of spoke very well and and, and sort of. Worth bearing in mind that you know Alvarez has been a key player for Brogan, not just this season or last season, but you know he's been there for a while and he's been a he's been a good striker. He's had his moments certainly where he's he's looked much better uh, than other times where he's as as you said. And also, Bonnie, sorry if I might come in. It's worth remembering that he's a Spain under twenty one international until very recently. He played in <laughs> the most recent under twenty one. Uh, either European or World Championships for Spain, so he's got international pedigree as well, not just domestically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I, you know, Arthur George sort of tried to make the point that we can't define a player on on moments and in this game as well. You know, that there were other players had opportunities in this game. I think Ricardo Holden missed, Ricardo Holden missed a good chance as well. And then it's um, there's something that sort of happens quite often in football, doesn't it? Where sort of it's a narrative, sort of players are sort of characterized and that these characterizations sort of follow them, don't they? Um, uh, it's like it's sort of slightly reminds not exactly the same, but sort of Harry Maguire, if you're like you know, it's the, there's there's sort of the, the 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 character of Harry Maguire, and there's the actual player who you know can have mm. a bad game and can have an excellent game and be phenomenal. And I think that's similar to what our is. Um, and and the thing we've got to remember as well is this isn't the one game he's going to play up top for Braga. Like he's got a few more games while Bans away at Afcon, and yes, he might need to. Um, improve and that they, they, they might look at um you know that i feel like he's going to be seen as a, a bigger problem than he perhaps is um I, we have we i think we have rightly criticized his finishing on occasion and and it's sort of and perhaps the chance in this game towards the end is sort of a, a, a one we've seen perhaps too many times but i also think he's a completely different player to banzer and then what he offers is is it's not like for like we can't just judge a player on their stats and goals, but he's he's um I just, sorry I just feel a bit sorry for him if I'm honest and I <laughs> like because like I said I think he's sort of been characterised as the striker who can't score and that's sort of starting to follow him around a bit. Well, it doesn't help that he isn't scoring. Um, that would obviously be the main thing to help get rid of that uh, accusation. I think his next game is going to be going to be really important. You know, how does he respond to this? Um, a nice easy game coming up for 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 Braga against Porto at the weekend. So, depending how you look at that, either a, you know a, a real opportunity for him to to really bounce back and make a statement in a big game, or just another game that that he could get lost in. But I think that's going to be really important. It's a really for me, Barney. I think it is a maybe this is not quite a career defining month, but I think a Braga career defining month. You know, while yeah. Banzer's away, if he can't make his mark on this team while Banzer's gone. Um, I you know perhaps his his future at at Braga is probably uh, looking less certain. No, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think yeah, it, it, it is a, a big moment. And 
to maybe put a bit more on the, on the player himself, you know, he's obviously cares a lot about Bra- you know, Braga as 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 you could see after the, this result, and he just needs to. Yeah, he really needs to sort of try and build, use the, that emotion that he has because it's 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 fine for players to get upset and and, and cry like results. It shows they absolutely care. So he needs to try and fuel that and 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 get over his. Well, just just be just yeah. It just feels like he just needs to be a bit more confident. I hope Arthur George can sort of uh, boost him up a bit. I did want to talk about the the actual goal scorer for the Braga in this game, um, Carlos Carvalho. Um, <laughs> we were both sort of surprised that. Um, Sort of forgotten about how was Rassi because he hasn't been in the in the in the squad a few weeks. So I didn't realize he was injured. Um, but you know, Visa Carvalho play came from Gil Vicente in the summer. Um, I just, I just, he's just a really good player, and I and I think it was a really good pickup from Braga because similar to Jao uh, Mendes for Vittoria, really, like it, it's a player that we hadn't really caught our eye uh, from their previous performances at a smaller club. But now, since playing for Braga, Visa Carvalho is really good, and even in the Champions League as well, he has. Really good, a few really good performances. Um, so I just thought he was uh, he did excellent again in that in, in defensive midfield position. Yeah, well, I mean, there were there were quite a number of of, of interesting calls for Arthur George in the lineup to this game. Um, Peter Cavalli was one of them, but also you know we saw Bruma and and Alvaro Jallo on on the bench. You know, those are two obviously they have their reasons to be on the bench, but both um, big players who've been been important for Braga this season. And like you said, Ali Almazrati, I'm assuming he's injured, unavailable for the last six games. But yeah, big opportunity for Vita Carvalho really did well. But also, Barney, big opportunity for Ronnie Lopes, who's, for me, something of a forgotten man at, uh, at Braga. Big opportunity for Rodrigo Zalazar, although he's taken his opportunities more um, in recent games. Um, I thought I thought Ronnie Lopez particularly as well looked pretty good. He you know he didn't really shy away from his opportunity out on the right hand side. Looked very influential. Looked bright. Uh, was involved in a lot of the attacking build up. Had a few good moments himself. You know personally some good shots. Uh, had a great opportunity to score cutting in on on onto his favoured left foot um, and got that assist for Vita Cavallo. So I think there were you know it's funny. I do think there were a lot of positive signs for Braga in this game. Um, Obviously, like I said, for me, a game defined uh, decided on moments. I don't think it's a bad sign to only be one nil up against your fiercest rivals and a team only a couple places behind you in the league in the ninetieth minute of of a big game. You know, there's no they don't have any right to be three, four, five nil up. One nil was was a good result, and they've only really got beat by a, um, a kind of one in a one in a million, not one in a million, but a real kind of uh, a goal that probably doesn't go in you know, 99 times out of 100. So, um, but, you know, I alluded to the fact that they've got Porto coming up next. Is a draw really good enough at this stage of the season? You know, they would have hoped for a big win in this game to to give them a boost ahead of Porto. You look at that Porto game now, does that become a must-win game if they're going to keep in the sort of top three battle? Is that the kind of pressure that they want going into a big game, especially with players out at African Cup of Nations and through injuries? So really interesting time for Braga. And I think... Um, Despite a good performance, you know, if they're going to be uh, if they're going to be really competitive in this in the league, then they've got to learn to be to be killers in in, in big games like this. And I think you know, with uh, unfortunately players like uh, Abel Ruiz up front and and perhaps some other weaknesses in the team, they're just that that one step for me off of being um, that top level. All right, well, look, let's look at a uh, another game, Barney, and uh, another cross town fixture, although slightly less of a. Of a passionate derby as a sporting played Estoril. Um this was a game that both in our preview show and our and our weekend preview article on Portugal.net I think we predicted that there would be a lot of goals in 
Um, so I'm not surprised that there were six in this game. Although personally, I didn't expect uh, five of those six goals to all be for Sporting. What turned out to be a very one-sided game for the league leaders. Uh, two goals from Marcus Edwards Barney, three assists for Vitsio Uh Pretty much total domination for Sporting um, and an excellent overall victory. Yeah, the last time they um, scored five goals in the league was um, around this time last year when they beat uh, Braga 5-0, sort of out of the blue. And, um, so um, they some, sort of got formed to sort of uh, performing very well around this time of year, which is usually a difficult time for for the teams with so many fixtures, etc. But um, no, I thought I thought it was a yeah, it was. I can't help but feel that um, Siabra, the way he had Estrel playing for this game, was sort of played into Sporting's hands. I just it was just very bold, and it's you know it sort of comes off the back of the discussions we've had many times this podcast about do you change your tactics for the big team? Siabra is bold and thought they could go um, toe to toe with um, uh, with toe to toe with Sporting, and 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 you know they yeah certainly had a right to bring that with the the way some the way some of his players have been playing recently. You know, um, it just it was just a bit too it just didn't pay off. You know, they they the high line they. Uh, call out behind a few times um and sporting's attacking players were just well particularly Yokers and Marcus Edwards were just too good to sort of to play that way against and they they really took advantage. Um I mean a hat trick of assist for Yokers, um Marcus Edwards I mean the two seem to be working really well, don't they? Um and even Pedro Casal was getting on the action as well uh, in this game. You know, it just but Edwards and Yokers is there's there's something there and it's it's no, no, it just it just it does make sense for me. I, I feel like you think of the player that Edwards was with uh, when Paulinho was leading the line, but Yokers has come in with such quality, and it's something with I think we described it when Edwards Vittoria as well. You know, when you just felt like you needed players with better quality around him to to help him go to that next level, and I think that's that's what's happened. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and I and I know at this point we we um. We talk about the same two players every week when it comes to sporting, but I do think it is still worth bringing up Jokeres and Edwards in this conversation because, not least because they both perform excellently, obviously, but because I think they do continue to show uh, evolutions in their game. Um, for example, as we mentioned, Jokeres didn't score, but he got three assists in this match. Um, and I think that shows a slightly different side to him. Um, although we obviously already know about his, his physicality and his, his movement, um, which he used so well in this game to create chances for for his teammates. I do remember saying earlier in the season about about him that my one criticism was that he, he had a touch of selfishness about him, which I didn't like. I felt there were moments earlier in the season where he 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 needed felt like he needed to to be the one to score the goal, like he needed to be the one to win the match, and and perhaps he needed to learn to to rely on rely on teammates more often, and obviously. In this game, I think we 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 really saw that it was very very pleasing, very selfless play from him a lot of the time, and you know the assist, particularly for the first goal, was was absolutely phenomenal. The way he used all of his attributes to not create a, a goal for himself, but create a goal scored chance for a um a teammate, which is really important. And then and then for obvious for Edwards Barney, obviously two goals in one game, which is you know not very often that that happens for Marcus Edwards. In fact. I, I I did check the last time he scored two goals in a game for Sporting was uh, in the league in May 2022, and that was actually against Victoria's former club. So you know it doesn't happen very often. My instinct was to to make a joke along the lines of oh you know two lovely tap-ins, um, which they kind of were. But then but then I did realize a serious point around that, which is that 
we think of Edwards as 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 a creator, right? As a creative player, as a provider, as a dribbler. Um, but I think it's actually a really, really positive sign to see that he can now get into those those goal scoring positions more frequently in those dangerous areas of the opponent's box where if you if you get your movement right, you get your timing right, you get your positioning right, you will be rewarded for good attacking positionings with tap-ins. And that's something that we kind of usually associate with strikers, right? It's what perhaps in the past you would have called a striker's instinct, a, poker's, a poacher's instinct. But I think that's um, a really, really important element of of Marcus Edwards' game that he's, he's been able to add this season. And of course, you know, when it comes down to it, Barney, the game is defined by numbers and and, and goal-scoring numbers and are the most important alongside, you know, assists. And I think um, we've said anecdotally that this is the best football that Marcus Edwards is playing in his career this season but I think it's not going to be any surprise coming under the season that this will also be the most productive season for Marcus Edwards in terms of numbers and goals scored and assists made and I think you know this kind of new uh, attacking instinct that he's added to his game is, is a huge part of that Now but I, I, I still think they, that, that the attack for Sporting could link up better they still had these moments where the, the right the wrong pass was made the, you know the, the, the right the Right, run run wasn't made. It still feels like they could go that extra level, and you know where where could they be? Um, uh, I, I wanted to talk about the defenders right out because um, Kresma had an excellent game again. Um, you know, and 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 one of the reasons I think perhaps the other went as bold as he did was looking at that back line. You know, no Coates, no Diamande. Um, you know, but perhaps he thought there was an opportunity there, but everyone stepped up. Particularly Nasio, I thought he was. Just yeah, exemplary in, in that uh, the central position, and, and as I said, Charisma has an excellent game, and that's really, you know, this is something we're talking about with Alvarez just now. Is you know, play getting an opportunity because of a departure of another player, and Charisma seems to be really taking that. Um, uh, the, the only thing I is um, of all the goals Sporting have conceded this season, um, seven are from set pieces, which equates to forty-one percent of the goals they've conceded, and. Um, that's just a little something that I feel could be improved. I don't know. You, people say this a lot, don't they? That, that sort of conceding from set pieces is, is an easy fix. You know, people sort of say, you know, oh, this manager will just come in and sort that out, and then they got to you know, get a bit tired. I, I don't know what it is, whether it was that lack of leadership in the back line or what, you know, or who knows. But it's certainly something that I feel can be addressed because it, you know, that, that is a high percentage of the goals conceded. And it did feel a little bit like, it, you know, players were picked up for that Estoril goal, but look, I'm, I'm nitpicking because it was a, a, a really good performance from scoring, and and, and uh, yeah, they they they're looking excellent at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I did just want to mention a few other players because you know we focus on Edwards and Jokeres. Um, a lot of a lot of sporting players had good games. You know, another good game for Jenny Katamo, who's who's having a breakthrough season for sporting, making himself an important first team player, which is I think something that a lot of people doubted would ever happen, whether he whether he had that quality. Um, you mentioned Eduardo Correja, but another great game and, and exactly as you said, another person who could benefit from an opportunity that uh, African Cup of Nations is bringing about from Depaying players. Um, Nuno Sanchez had a very good game and, and easy to forget that his form has not been the best this season and so it's important for him to have a good game. Very, very, very important for me, Brian, for Trincao to come on and score and score a very, very good goal. Um, same for for Pedro Gonzalez, who again, similar to Nuno Sanchez, easy to forget because Sporting are doing so well. He's not actually been at his best, so you know these are all important um, important steps for Sporting, and and you know pretty much everything went as as it as it could have for Sporting in this game there, which I you know they'll be delighted. 
And going I add one player to that list of players, uh, Brand Cancer as well, you know, he's getting his opportunity in midfield and he's a few times he's paid, he's he's a really good um look, out of all those players we've just mentioned then, um only one of them is right third, everyone is left third. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to talk about this is just just a little thing which I because I, I something I think about quite a lot of sports, and I think there's an abnormal amount of left third players, particularly when you've got like Jenny Castro playing right wing back to left third and most of the Is he left foot suit? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Most of the centre backs like Nacio, Martez, uh, Ruiz, Nuno Santos, Procansa, Trincao when he got on. But the reason I, I find it interesting because, yeah, I've always had that thought that it feels like there's a lot of left footed players. But I saw this, um, I read this in a sort of discussion about Arsenal and about the fact that they're not so good at keeping possession at the moment because they have so many left footed players. And that's because <laughs> left footed players aren't as good on their weak foot because, you know, as you mm. know from playing football yourself, if you're left footed, you're usually stuck at left back and or left mid and just using your left foot the whole time. So I, I just want to, I don't know if that's come to play in, in the sense of sporting. Perhaps it has in some sense where like they, they're not so keen on possession, are they? They're, they're quite direct in their play, but I've just, sorry, I just wanted to share that with you because it's been running <laughs> around my head. Just thinking about well, why all these left footed players in and what, well, what could it mean? Sporting's wealth of left footed players hold them back in the title race. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep an eye on that developing <laughs> idea. Um, before we move on, by I, I, I want to come back uh, on something you said right at the very beginning about Estriel because uh, we need to focus on them a little bit. Look, I mean, before this game, I wouldn't say either of us were confident that they would get a result, but I think we would, we thought that they would probably give a better account of themselves than they did. Um, and I think it's a really important point was one that you made uh, in the uh, preview article that you wrote for Portugal.net. Uh, you were talking about the the wing-back positions and how important that they were going to be in this game. And, and I do think that was spot on and it did come to uh, to pass in this match. But obviously, sadly for Estoril, it was from a sporting perspective who completely dominated in that area, specifically, I thought, with with Jenny Katamo and, and Nuno Santos completely pinning back Estrell's wing-backs. And we know what an important attacking outlet those players are for Estrell. And I think that really, really nullified um, a lot of the attacking prospects that, that Estrell had. They, they kind of struggled to create huge opportunities um, with those two players pretty much out of the game obviously created one or two in the second half. You know, they were better in the second half, but then they also conceded more in the second half. So um, I think uh, Vasco uh, Siabri in his post-match interview was pretty gracious. You know, he just said on the day the better team won and I think that is fair. But perhaps we we kind of, I don't know whether to say hoped or expected, but we thought that they would possibly give a, a better account of themselves than they did in the game where they lost 5-1. Although, I will just say that their goal did provide my favourite moment of the whole game, which was um, Cassiano scoring a goal uh, when his team's 5-0 down in the 83rd minute and he still sprints to get the ball back to try and kick off as quick as possible to to mount a comeback, which I thought was um, a little bit optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I mean, the only thing I was going to add to the Astral chat I was... Um, uh... Uh, just the midfield, I think, you know, we've, most of the season has been Jordan Holsgrove and Mateus Fernandez. Um, we've been both been good, but I think Coyne Dreddy, the young French midfielder, came in and I think he had, he looked all right in moments as well. I just think they've got a, a good, good options of talent in that midfield position. I think it's a really good area. Um, mm. But also then Ezekiel Mangala again on the pitch, Albert. I know. <laughs> I forgot he was there. That was. Uh, Do that you think was that was Siabra saying, I, I need my experienced players for the big game? <laughs> Well, no, he should have. He, I wonder if he should have started personally because I think that you know that there's been a few 
people come into those the defensive positions for the the, the free centre back positions best. Or I just yeah, maybe I mean, he could have started Cassiano, put Mangara at the back, and it could have played that you know played a bit more dire. <laughs> Move on to Cassiano <laughs> and see what happens. But no, I don't think I think you know he does deserve credit for sticking with his style because I think you know any other team in this league and you know they mm. they might have got a, a, better, a better result. Yeah, well, no, no hope to bounce back, obviously. You know, and uh, the same thing I always say, I'll say it again, you know, for teams like Estoril, kind of ambitious teams hoping to make an impact on the league, their season is not defined on on these games. It's, you know, defined on games against teams hitting around their level. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether they can bounce back. Um, but let's, let's get through these games. Let's talk about another, Barney, yet another local derby um, as Bovista hosted Porto at the Estadio de Bessa. Um this is a really interesting derby for me, buying the Porto derby, because it, it's a derby that has the rivalry, right? It has the passion from the fans and the players, specifically on the Bovista side. Um, but look, if we're being blunt about the situation, it's, it's, it's a little while since these two teams were really on anything kind of resembling a level playing field in, in terms of on-pitch uh, ability. You know, Bovista are in, in dreadful form in the league. They're kind of operating under the cloud of, of heavy financial problems, players and staff not being paid for long periods of time. Um, but to be fair, I was thinking about this, Barney, Porto themselves have kind of got their own issues, patchy form, discontent in the dressing room. Um, it did make me think that this is probably the the, the most miserable derby in, in, in Portugal right now. And in some ways, I think that did kind of translate on, onto the pitch because it was a pretty dire game where you know Porto predictably dominated the football but they couldn't convert their chances and they had to settle for a 1-1 draw against arguably the worst team in the league on current form a group of players who've not been played for a long time you know worlds apart in terms of resources and and they couldn't get a win um we did get an on-field scrap which was uh more entertaining than anything perhaps from a footballing sense but it was just a, it was just a really disappointing game, almost from everyone's perspective, except perhaps Bovista, who who would be very happy with a point. No, they'll be they'll be very happy with a, a point. You know, this is a big, and it's not the you know it's a it's a couple of draws now for them as well. So they're starting to get points back on the board, and obviously playing against their rivals, Port. So it's, you know, huge point in that sense. Um, it's it's just the same old story for Port isn't it? So it's, we've been discussing this all season, the same sort of things. And conscious Al just refuses to change. And um he's been quite defensive recently in all his press conferences about his what he's done for Porto and then his history. But it's just it's I don't know, there's there's things that seem obvious to me, and I think I, I sometimes like perhaps put myself down and put you know, as, as a an armchair manager, if you will, you know, as, you know <laughs> what do I know? But I think it was obvious when the likes of Nico, Ivan Jamie, uh, Nico Gonzalez, sorry, Ivan Jamie, and Danny Mass are gone. It looked better, right? I felt there was a bit more to Porto. There was a bit more danger. There was a bit mm. more happening, you know, which which hadn't been for, for dozens of games now. And, and well, Nomos had but, their best chance to score for me. Well, yeah, exactly. And and but you know what? I I I do know for sure is that conscious self's takeaway. From this won't be the fact that when those players go on, they look better, but they didn't deliver the win. That is the case of Porto, and that, that that's what's happening to these players, and that's why they're not getting their opportunities. You know, um, the fact they went with Grujic, who is for me just such a one-dimensional player. Um, he, he does a good job for what he, what he does, but he doesn't offer much more than that. Um, I just I wonder what you think because I, I 
we, we always have we've had this, uh, similar discussions for weeks now, and I, but I've I've seen quite a few people start to describe this as conscious cell's lowest point since he's been Porto manager, and I, I just wonder if you agree with that. I mean, I I could not agree more. I, I think exactly the same after this game. Um, I found yeah, I found the the squad selection quite strange. Although you know, obviously, really important to always say that there are, there could well be things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, whether that's fitness issues, training issues, blah blah blah. There could be loads of things. But from from a purely footballing perspective, I I was puzzled by um, the squad selection in, in in many ways. You know, you're going into a local derby, a game that. You can't really afford to lose. They've already dropped enough points in in the league, right? You got Gonzalo, you got Gonzalo Franco on, on one wing, with with Galeno and Chico Costa sitting on the bench. With all due respect to to, to Franco, he he's hardly lit up the league in a Porto shirt, right? I think that's fair to say. Like you, I completely was bamboozled by Marco Gruic in midfield when you've got Nico Gonzalez on the bench. And let's let's not forget, Barney. This week we've we've had this week and last week we've had all this talk about Nico Gonzalez, a player who was signed in the summer on a permanent transfer from Barcelona, and they're talking about selling him on six months later back to La Liga, right? A, a guy who's barely had any opportunities to play in the league. You've got even Jaime on the bench, who look, you need to create chances. Um, even Jaime had a fantastic season in the Premier League last year, one of the standout performers for any team. For Family Cow, you know, he, he got really good numbers for a team operating outside of the top four. I have to say, I was really troubled by something that Constancel said in an interview. Forgive me, I can't remember if it was before or after this game. Um, but he was asked about Nico Gonzalez and he was asked about Ivan Jaime um, and the fact that they haven't been playing. And he said, and this is a quote, I, I had to translate it, so hopefully you still get the gist. There's a difference between signings and reinforcements. Okay, so the suggestion being that they were not reinforcements. These are people not reinforcing the team, but they, you know, they are technically new signings, but they're not actually helping the team. I mean, so you asked me what I think, Barney. I think at what point do we have to look at the manager um, and ask whether maybe the negativity that is surrounding him at the moment, and it feels like it has been building over the last few months, maybe up to the sort of 12 months, maybe the last year, and it asks, is it starting to get too much? And is he starting to bring bring the club down with him? And what a shame to ask that question about a manager that we, I mean, if people doubt it, they can go back and listen to this podcast. We have defended Sergio Constancel for a long time um, and not just defended him, but also argued the point that his temperament and the way that he is, his stubbornness, his single-mindedness is what has got Porto's success over the years, especially in competitions like the Champions League. But I do think whether it's time to ask whether the kind of the situation that he's in now, with so much negativity hanging over him, like a lot of discontent off the pitch. And I do think that a lot of that comes with him, whether or not the team would be better off with a manager with a different mindset, you know, someone who whose ambition was to to improve players, to get the best out of a, a squad and, and and work with the team that team that they've got. This is before we even get onto the David Karma situation. That's just another example of that. But you see my point. Yeah, yeah, and I think we should perhaps add to this conversation. You know, the fact that the presidential elections are, are near, and Pinto da Costa will be up against uh, Andres Villas Boas, and that that could be interesting. And how much that will affect the result, um, and 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 what happens with Porto going forward would be interesting. And uh, just with what you were saying there, I think it was, is is a great point. And to hear Contreras say himself, you know, that there's a difference between signings and reinforcements. I mean, there certainly is a disconnect between the recruitment at Porto and. Conscious House vision of what player he wants because there's players we know 
for sure have quality. I go up and Jamie, like you mentioned, uh, to, to, and, and others that have, have shown they can do it but are not being given the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, um, I, 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 I'm both this driver because I just, there's one player that Stuck in my mind. Uh, I think it was was it last week where you basically ran through the Bovis squad <laughs> and just slated every single player. It was just Bruno Lerengchuk because when you mentioned his name, <laughs> that should have that should have been a that should have been a Patreon exclusive. That should have never gone out publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but when you mentioned his name, uh, uh, Bruno Lorenzo, said, what, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you said, what, "What has he done?" No, I, I didn't. I, I, I hold on, hold on. I think we need to get a recording. I didn't. <laughs> he's been great this season. He's a good player. He's not in great form, but he scored a good goal. The reason that it, it came off my head is because I, I wasn't quite to agree with you, but then I was like, I'm sure he's done something. And it, I, I, I look back, it's just the fact that he's, he's sco- he quite regularly scores about, against the big teams. I think he's but also, he scores, he scores bangers. He scores from outside yeah, yeah. the box on his weak foot. I, I, I would, I, I'm sorry, I would just come push back on this. I never, I'm pretty sure I never said he'd done nothing. I know he's a good player. I think, <laughs> I, I, think I was suggesting that he's, he's, he's not contributing at the moment. But he did yeah, contribute no, in this game. And he scored a header, which is, you know, which is good. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I think I've done. <laughs> You're trying to stitch me up, mate. I'm not having it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I think, yeah, that, and and that's a player. You know, we talked about the the absentees for um, Burbister. You know, that's a player that they needed to to step up when he got when he's in the eleven, and he certainly did that in this game. Um, but no, I as soon as I just had the, the Makuta and Perez coming back was was big for uh, Burbister. They're back from their injuries, and that certainly helped them in this game. Um. And I, and as we said at the beginning, you know, it's a, it's a couple of draws now for Bovis. So you know, they looks like they weren't going to get a win for, you know, for love nor money. Uh, um, but now they've, uh, yeah, it's a, a draw against Porto, a draw against uh, Vittorio Grimaros. So um, uh, obviously they lost the draw with them, but you know, it, it's, it's still two points that vitally important for their survival. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really really important that they 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 start to win games again. Um, so this will be a good result to to help them kick on. Um, let's talk about com- uh, a couple more games then. And of course, Benfica were in action against uh, Aruka. This had a game for me, Barney, with a very similar air to it as the Sporting Estoril game. Um, a smaller team uh, in good form coming up against uh, a bigger team, but you know, hoping to cause maybe a bit of an upset, impart their own personality onto the game. But uh, very similarly to Estoril versus Sporting, this this didn't really pan out. As uh, Aruka would have would have hoped, Benfica won comfortably with a three 0 win away from home. Um, we made a big point, Barney, in our in the preview pod last week, um, talking about how that this game would be defined by the first goal. If Aruka could score first, then it might put some doubt into the Benfica players' minds. It might cause a little bit of panic. But if Benfica scored first, then then they would win the game comfortably. And Benfica, look, they started really, really well, really confidently. They actually had the ball in the back of the net twice before they finally had uh, a clean goal awarded, thanks to Rafa. They went on to win the game 3-0, uh, took a very valuable three points back to, to Lisbon. But the most important thing for me, Barney, a comfortable and confident performance. Yeah, no, it really works. Um, it was It really was that in this game. Um yeah, I, 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 it's hard to pin it down to exactly what it was. I think obviously Rafa coming into some winter form it, it, um, is is great. Um, perhaps that's sort of right around because of the contract talks that are going on at the moment. Who knows? But you know that that's vitally important it, for him to to be playing well in that position behind the striker. You know because that's they, they, Di Maria is excellent. Jao Mario is sort of learned 
is made, you know, is that that left hand side attacking midfield or left midfield, whatever you want to call it, is, is you know he's he's made that his own and that works well. Morato was able to to work quite nicely with him, as was Alves on the other side with Di Maria, um, and of course Kostu uh, again a goal and assist. I think it's I, I read that it was it's been over a year. I think the last time he got a goal and an assist in, in the same game was when he was back at Feyenoord. So you know that that was sort of that was coming for sure for for Kostu and, and and alongside Jao Neves that sort of double pivot. It, I saw a really good graphic. Um, of the average positions for Benfica in this game. And it was a perfect, you know, circle, if you will. It was like, you know, with the, the three, uh, three players, two players at the back, the wing backs. It was just, it just looked absolutely neat and almost exactly as, as they would be put, shown on the sort of the formation uh, screen on whatever you're looking at on live score or whatever. And, and, and it was compared to um, their average positions in the Lorenz game where they drew. Which was far more messy, you know, and and obviously that sort of shows that 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 was a, a team with not really knowing how to play, how to work together. Whereas in this, you know, it was all perfect. You know, Alves was overlapping Di Maria, allowing him to come inside. Morato sort of evolved in that left back position. To be fair to him, and he's got more confident going forward as well, and offering different options. And Koscielny and was just balanced, complement each other really well. And and then that's that. This is all with Arthur Cabral leading the line, and it's still not a perfect. Um, system for Artur Cabral. Uh, he didn't get his goal in this game. You know, you can still see he perhaps, whether it's him wanting to play his way or the fact that he's starting to come around to Schmidt's idea, Roger Schmidt's idea a little bit more, and being a, doing a bit more from the team. I, I don't know what it is, but look, it was a it was a good good rounded performance, and it just feels like things are starting to click a bit more for Benfica. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think we'd got to give credit to to Rafa, you know who. It's such a funny situation for him at the moment, Barney, because obviously there was all that drama after the, the last game where he he kind of alluded to in an interview and with activity on social media that perhaps he was even leaving the club and, and you know, he's, he's he's perhaps been a bit patchy this season. So there was a lot of noise about Rafa up until this game and then, well, you know, suddenly he's straight back into the starting lineup and puts on arguably his best individual performance of the season, you know. I mean, we I've criticised him before for, for poor finishing. I can think of games where I've criticised him for for not scoring two, three, four chances in a game that he should have. Well, this game, you know, he had three chances in the first half and took all three. Obviously, two were ruled out for offside, but the third counted and it really kicked off Benfica's win. So, you know, important for him to have a, to a really good game. And, you know, like all those other players that you mentioned had very good games as well. Um, I was thinking about Aruka, though, because, you know, you mentioned that interesting aspect that uh, ben, this is probably Benfica's most tactically astute game of the season so far. And, 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 you know, on the one hand, you might think that perhaps Aruka didn't do enough to, to disrupt their way of playing, but they, they did, uh, you know, they obviously did have some tactics going into this game, particularly the high line, which the defense was playing, um, which I thought was, was, you know, well, it was obviously effective because it ruled out two goals in the first half for offside. And it looked like they were quite comfortable doing that. But I think the problem Aruka had in this game was it was sloppiness and, and, and moments, you know, lapses of concentration. And unfortunately, I think that is both ends of the pitch in front of goal and, and defensively. I mean, in front of goal, they were, you know, they had golden opportunities to score, which which they didn't take. And I think that was down to poor decision making, just not being quite on it, sloppiness. And then defensively as well, you know, like I said, they're playing that high line. It works well for the first two chances that, that Rafa has. They play him offside effectively. And then the third one is when the, the centre-back Moreno just 
drops too deep out of that line. He's not in with the rest of his his back four, and and that's how that's how Benfica got the uh, got the goal, which you know obviously went on then to to win the game. So, you know, look, like I said, Aruka similarly to Estoril against Sporting, he would have wanted to you know, make, you know put a, a good impression of himself on this game, regardless of the result. I think they were okay. We've seen them play better. They didn't execute the game plan very well. Um, and that they just got to bounce back and move on from this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, perhaps we had higher hopes than we should have for um, uh, Ruka going in this game. But I, you know, they, they they've been in great form, so I think it was deserved. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was a bit too much for them. And it, it, it's it is games like this when you, <laughs> I was just to get you know the fact that Thiago's guy was sort of playing left back coming get up against Angel Di Maria, like just because like I've been heaping the praise on this guy this season you know I mean, he has been brilliant to be fair but when suddenly you're up against a World Cup winner <laughs> it's a completely different game isn't it <laughs> so yeah it's one thing playing against Bruno Lorenzo you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um, but no like yeah it's like we usually say you know you, you're not going to judge your season on that I lost to Benfica so okay. yeah all right, let's quickly do one more game before we go, Barney. In fact, you know, we'll end on a fun one. We haven't got to spend too much time on this, but there was, there was, you know, there was a number of good games uh, that we could discuss. But I do just want to touch on on Morarens, who who took a Cadapia at home. Morarens, who I would describe as the darlings of the Premier League at the moment. Everyone, including us, loves them. You know, they're this newly promoted team. They play great football. They're punching well above their weight. Well, look, they were absolutely battered at home on Monday night against Casapia. They lost 4-1. That's their biggest defeat of the season, Barney. They've already played Benfica, Porto, Sporting and Braga. And yet their biggest defeat of the season comes at home to Casapia. Um, they simply couldn't live with the Casapia attack. And to be fair, I don't think anyone really saw this coming. Great result from the Lisbon Minnows. A Pedro Moreira masterclass. I'm just going to just get a, you, you know, your thoughts on this game because I, you know, I don't think many people would have predicted this outcome. You know, Casapia themselves had a very average season, um, and I've got a new manager in place, so you know, clearly they're doing something right. I think it's that Albert. I think it's the new manager Moreira. Um, I think this is he's he's really changed things quite drastically. Um, you know, the, the, under Felipe Martins, it was a, a rigid formation, and you know, sort of. A, a five-two-three. Um, it's very much four-four-two now, and 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 that what that's doing is bringing out the best of these these strikers in Clayton and then mm. Cardoso. You know, I, I, both looks fantastic. It always feels like Casper have got good strikers. You know, it was Felipe Martins before. You know, mm. they've always, they, they've had, they've always had something up top. But the fact that you know they're going with giving the two, getting the two on there, it's causing problems. There, the you know the the wingers have done well. Um, we we always talk about Yugi Summer, but um. Thiago Diaz um, is, is is having a good season uh, and is sort of coming. He's nailed on that right uh, right midfield spot, and the midfield as well. Brito has has always been good as is um, uh, Adneto. So yeah, there's been there's been a huge change at Casapia, and, and perhaps we should you know this is all highlighted. You know, I mentioned the fact that they used to play with three centre backs, and now they're going to four at the back formation. V- Varela, the cub captain, is, is is he just is he just signed for Shabs? Is he a thirty seven year old? Mm, yeah. Two things to that one, you know, obviously the, the, there were rumours about there being um, things going on in the dressing room with him uh, a few weeks back, around the time yeah. Felipe Martins was uh, leaving, I think. But just that, you know, that that <laughs> you've also got a thirty-seven-year-old playing centre back, you know, so they did, you know, it just it just they've just freshened things up and they've taken him around, put an extra person up top, and it's 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 reaping the rewards. And as it did, this four goals, you know, um, 
So I, I think I think things are happening at Casapia. You know, they're they're you know they've they they've had to go through a hard transition perhaps because Felipe Marsens was such a huge figure at that club, um, but now they're sort of finding their feet and then and perhaps this wasn't as big a surprise as it should have been. Although, did you think like that? Absolutely. Well, look, I think let's leave it there for this week's podcast. Um, once again, a massive thank you for listening and just a reminder as always that if you enjoyed the show you can leave us a review on apple podcasts a star rating on spotify if you've got friends who you think might enjoy the show send it to them give it a share on twitter all of that kind of stuff and of course please do check out our patreon uh, the link is in the description of this podcast uh, but i just need to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week yes next week